0: Welcome to Hello Health Today, where health is a leadership strategy. I'm Dr. Carmen Mohan. My guest today is candidate for the City Council, Mandy Mahoney. For the past decade, Mandy served as the president of the Southeast Energy Efficiency Alliance, applying her regional leadership in climate change, clean energy, affordable housing, and environmental justice policy in Atlanta. Living in East Lake with her husband, Sean, and young son, Paul, she is building on a strong track record of making a difference in Atlanta. She was one of the Beltline's early proponents and served as Atlanta's first director of sustainability. Mandy was named the 2020 Eastlake Y Volunteer of the Year. She was one of Georgia Trend's 40 Under 40 in 2016 and Atlanta Business Chronicle's 40 Under 40
1: in 2014.
0: Mandy and I spoke about finding the voice we all need to feel confident.
1: That little girl in me who is told to just sit quietly and and behave, I've had to invite her in and grieve the sadness that was that teaching as a child to be able to move past it and embrace that my voice matters too.
0: There are moments in life that change us forever.
1: He looked me dead in the eye and he said... If more white people were with us now, the way they were in the early 60s, the world would be a better place. And when he looked at me, I felt that as a bolt of lightning had gone through my soul. And I knew that that was the truth I had to live by.
0: Radical self-care is vital when you want to make change.
1: How do I show up in that authentic manner where I'm vulnerable and I'm, I'm leading with love. And the only way I can do that is if I am caring for myself first.
0: Mandy, I'm so glad you could take the time to chat with me today. Thank you, Carmen. It's
1: wonderful to be with you.
0: It's a little crazy for me to realize that we've known each other for just about 17 years. I remember the Goizeta Business School event where we were each the date for the MBA student at the gala. I was in medical school
1: at the time, and you were in law school. I was so thankful to meet you because we were the odd women out. All the other people knew each other, and it was fun to have someone to be able to reflect on the crazy of having... Significant others in business school, and it's been fun to go through motherhood <laughs> with you and our careers. Yeah. So, and now to be here today is awesome. Thank you.
0: Well, I want you to know that even back then, I remember thinking Sean is one lucky guy because that woman is so confident, smart, and fun. <laughs> Thank
1: you. And I have enjoyed how, and you know, we both are married to entrepreneurs. Indeed, it's funny. Like, who knew that was going to happen? It's true. And yeah, you know, being the wife of an entrepreneur. Is a special, <laughs> special road. So I appreciate that we've been able to commiserate and love them through all of these years. They're special
0: guys. Um, they have good taste, but, you know. They have great taste. <laughs> So even back then, you know, as a young law student, I believe you were a proponent of sustainable living. You were worried about environmental justice. When did environmental issues become so important to you? I mean, you made a career out of advocating for sustainability and against climate change.
1: Environmental and social justice found me in first grade. I was educated by uh, the Sisters of Mercy. And there was uh, a sister named Sister Bernarda who saw that kids could handle hard things. and t- she talked to us about poverty and inequity. And she planted the seeds in me that grew and sprouted through my life. And I you know, started the environmental club in high school. I and what the reason I was bent towards environmental issues was because even then, I knew I wanted to change the system. I remember thinking in seventh grade about the only way to really deal with poverty was to give everyone equal access to natural resources, whether it be clean water or clean air. And as I got older, I realized at this point, access to electricity has become the central aspect of the modern world. And so that's why I have Spent the last 10 years of my career working on climate change policy uh, because climate change, right, if you look at where emissions come from, it's electricity generation. It's now being eclipsed by our, the cars we drive. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've been driven to try to change the systems we have so that there can be we can address the social issues of our time.
0: I think it's so wonderful that you are running for Atlanta City Council District Five, which is my district. Uh, we could, we would be only so lucky to have you. What's the
1: impetus to run for public office? I want to bring amazing, wonderful, lasting solutions to improve the quality of life in our community. I have spent my career working alongside decision makers, and I see so many solutions to the problems that we have as I've been doing my work in the field that I want to bring my voice and my vision for change to bring a new layer of dynamic solutions that will drive lasting change in our community. And I thought, you know, oh, I'll wait until my son Paul is older. Paul's in first grade now. But when we were walking to school before the pandemic, I would watch elderly residents try to get to the MARTA bus stop and the sidewalks and the street infrastructure was treacherous for them and it feels like a failing of our leadership that we don't have better access to street sidewalks and so I said you know now's the time if I want and I want my son to feel like he is also a part of the change And that it's not something you put off in life, but something where your voice matters now. And so he's out there with me. We go to the dog park in Kirkwood and he loves to walk up to people and ask them, If they live in the city of Atlanta, and if they say yes, then he says, my mommy's running for city council. That is such a joyful, life-giving time together.
0: What a great way to model for your child. I love that. And you know, I think that people don't understand how important walkable neighborhoods actually are to healthy living. You know, you know, I'm going to go all there, like into like how to prevent cardiovascular disease actually does have to do with contiguous walkable sidewalks and preventing hip fractures and hospitalizations has to do with those sidewalks not being treacherous for our older um, citizens. And I don't think we can say enough about uh, the environment and how we're all impacted by that. So I just really appreciate that.
1: Well, and I'm curious for you, like also not just elderly, but how do you see it show up in your practice for people... Who are, you know, our age, parents. Yeah,
0: it's a big deal, especially for um, so for my runners. They'll come in bleeding because the sidewalk ha- like got in the way and they just tripped. And then they're out from running for three weeks, right? Like just because they tripped over an uneven sidewalk. And then my moms who actually dare to walk with a stroller or even run with a stroller have a really hard time finding a place where... That, that's actually possible outside of um, our Freedom Path, which is a really nice um, mm-hmm. segment. So, Mandy, according to the Center for Women in Politics at Rutgers University, as of April of this year women in the U.S. comprise just 30% of officials elected to municipal Mm -hmm. office. So by municipal, the Rutgers um, Center is counting not just mayors, but also boards of aldermen, city commissions, and city council members. Why such low numbers, do you think?
1: I think we have to look at the implicit signals that little girls are sent from the earliest days, that they have to be good girls who listen and... Uh, so that we're we're planting these seeds that their voices don't matter as much as the little boys, and that's part of the darkness. I have even had to stare down in myself as I've tried to find my voice, because I know that my voice matters, but that little girl in me who is told to just sit quietly and and behave, ha- I've had to invite her in and grieve. The sadness that was that teaching as a child to be able to move past it and embrace that my voice matters too, what I want to see, what I my ideas are worthwhile, um, and to stand in that power has been uh, something that I've had to to use lots of different tools to healthfully stand in that in that power that I want to em- embody. And so I think that we just need to own that that's, that's part of the problem. But then, you know, when you layer on to that, women still carry the preponderance of responsibility at home. And I think that it is, it is hard. You know, my days are long and trying to make sure my son gets a healthy meal and is, is, takes a bath and is in bed on time. And while I'm also doing the campaign work, it's a lot to balance. Uh, And so between those really practical challenges, but then also, you know, the implicit signaling in our society, I think when you put all that stuff together, um, it works against women putting their hands up to say, I want to run.
0: Mandy, I'm so glad that you're there as a model for my girls, raising thank two you. girls myself who I hope believe in their ideas and who feel confident in any room they walk into because they deserve to be. I just really appreciate the fact that we cannot be what we cannot see, which is one of mm-hmm. my mentors, Dr. Kimberly Manning, is fond of saying. I, I just think that it's true. And it. Um, thank you for being part of the solution that is this generational inheritance as well. Thank you. So you alluded to it. What's the day in the life like of someone in the middle of a local political campaign?
1: You The, the uh, guidance that we're given is that you can never be out there enough meeting new people. And so I am a trained extrovert. I am someone who <laughs> takes a lot of time to nourish my soul, to feel uh, that I can... Yes, show up in the way that I want with the joy I want to show up in. Um, and so what I'm finding is that my day starts really early. I get up 5, 530, and I have uh, an hour and a half of meditation, reflection, prayer, uh, journaling. And then I exercise from 7 to 8, either um, on online yoga or Pilates routine. And just to get my body moving, to get that energy flowing. And then I become mom for an hour. I make breakfast. I get Paulie either online or we get him off to school. And then it moves into phone calls, meet and greets in person with you know new people that uh, are are interested in why the heck I'm running. Uh, and my evenings are generally filled with online or and now in person public meetings. Like this week was the East Atlanta Business Association and hearing people's interests like what they want to see different in their community and then i also find time in there to write to put out my vision of how i want to see policy change manifested in our community right now the georgia dot is looking at investing and redoing the interstate bridge over moreland that is moreland over i-20 and they are not taking into account the needs of bicyclists and pedestrians. And so I'm trying to motivate people to give public comment to say, Georgia DOT, you need to redraw your plan. So um, that's the mixture of things that comprise my days.
0: Wow, that's so interesting because you are actually working on... Issues that affect my daily life. I'm over Moreland all the time. I'm always trying to run over um, in that area across Little Five, and I've almost been hit by a car several times. So, I mean, that ladders directly back to my day-to-day experience. I want to say in high school that I was only taught how our federal government works, and it's such a shame because Mm -hmm. I'm much more affected by city politics than I ever will be, I think, by like the U.S. Senate.
1: I agree with you. And that's what motivated me to run. Like I've spent my entire career working at actually the federal state and local level of public policy. But when I reflected back in my discernment period for choosing, like deciding, am I going to do this? I looked at where I had seen the most change that impacted and made positive quality of life improvements. And it was really at the local level. It goes back to the sidewalks, you know, using sidewalks as the symbol for, the basic services you use every day. Um, yeah, I think we need to be more brave with how we are using our tax dollars to make the the future community that we want. We need to the you know the interchange over I twenty with Moreland that needs to be a model for how all different modes of transportation, whether you are in a walker or a wheelchair or on your feet, or in a car. We have got to prioritize each of those modes equally. And right now in the South, we remain in this model of the car is king, and we've got to shed that. Maybe
0: after the gasoline scare that happened last week, uh, people will be more amenable to that idea. <laughs> I hope I can, so. <laughs> I can't inspire them with like, look, walkability means less heart attacks because it's too far away. So let's go with uh, gasoline shortages and un- yes. being unable to drive a car.
1: <laughs> well, and climate change is going to continue to bring a lot of disruptions. Uh, that is, <sighs> is going to force people. It's going to produce pain that is going to force people to make different decisions.
0: You have served on many nonprofit advisory boards, including being involved at the King Center and serving as the board chair for Georgia Organics. Tell me more
1: about your service work. I was that kid who was always in tow with their mom on volunteer projects. And so I have never not known what it meant to be in community. And as I looked at how I wanted to spend my non-work time, I went, I've spent it in times that with things that were really joyful and nurtured a part of my curiosity that I wasn't getting in my professional life. So in Georgia Organics, it, it was fun to get to look at sustainable agriculture policy, to look at how we needed to make it easier for there to be farmers markets in the city of Atlanta that required actually rewriting the zoning code so that farmers markets were explicitly allowed to exist. Wow. And now that's changing so that you farmers can actually sell their produce from their farm stand in Atlanta. And I so I enjoy being a part of that change so that the things that are on our hearts can become a lasting manifestation in the world. And Georgia Organics allowed me to do that. My involvement with the King Center was to honor the 50th anniversary of Dr. King's assassination. At the time of Dr. King's assassination, there was a tremendous funeral march that went from uh, Ebenezer to Morehouse College. And there was a group of us who got together to create that same space for people to pay witness to Dr. King's, uh, what he had done for our world. And retrace the steps of that march, and it, leading up to that, we had over a hundred gatherings where people made funeral wreaths in his honor. And I needed that for myself. I needed an outward way to show my expre- appreciation and for all he did, and the law, lo- and his loss to this planet. And so, by being in community with people, my soul was nurtured. And I feel like we created space for other people to have their soul nurtured also. It's
0: so wonderful. Wonderful. You have been the leader of your own nonprofit organization for many years. And so you are no stranger to fundraising on behalf of a mission and in service to others. But I wonder, is it
1: hard to ask people for campaign money? It is no different. So I figured (laughs) out when I was in high school, that if I wanted the things that I wanted in my heart to be done, that I was going to have to get resources for it. And because my parents were not in a place to be able to send me on, you know, trips to Washington, D.C. like other kids' parents were. And so I figured out I had to raise that money myself if I wanted to do the things I wanted to do. And what I also figured out was money is just as important as political will, is just as important as people's time. So I made peace a long time ago with the fact that cash is one resource some people have. Not everybody has. Some people have the time to go door to door with me, but wouldn't be able to give me any money. So I joyfully accept any and all gift that people want to give me, uh, which allows me not to be at all intimidated about asking for money.
0: So cool. So cool. What's your main issue for our city? How are you going to make us better?
1: Affordable housing, far and away, is the crisis that is afflicting our community right now. And I think it's important that we use the modifier adequate. We need adequate affordable housing, not just housing people can afford. So we need to look at the quality of of. The homes people are living in. And what the data shows is that people on the, the lower end of the economic spectrum, if you make $40,000 a year or under, it is more likely that the home you live in has mold and mildew issues, which I would love to hear you reflect on because the data shows that those people are much more likely to have indoor air quality driven illnesses
0: Oh, yeah. You know, all this asthma among children in our city is really being driven by allergens, mold, leaf mold being a a huge one. And, you know, it's really awful. I could either give this kid, you know, a ton of steroids and inhalers, or I could just write a prescription for an affordable house. Um, hello. What are we doing with not only our our healthcare system, but how could we treat people that way? It's it boggles my mind. But I know that
1: it, there's a political answer. Well, and there are other cities in this nation where doctors are actually prescribing weatherization. So what you're intuitively seeing is happening and the non the Southeast Energy Efficiency Alliance is the nonprofit that I've where I've served as president the last 10 years and that is one of the big hairy audacious visions we're holding and we're working with the Georgia Center for Health Policy with the Atlanta Volunteer Lawyers Project to pilot some of this work to use healthcare dollars to go in and be able to invest and make one time changeouts in these houses so that these little kids are not having to go to Hughes Spalding emergency room they their asthma.
0: And, and it's not just the little kids that are being affected. Also, some of our elderly that have lung issues like COPD, if I could just get them a heater and, and they weren't being exposed to cold air so often, I wouldn't have to hospitalize them with pneumonia every other month. Um, And every hospitalization costs us so much money as a society. But it's not just that the funds that I'm worried about. I'm worried about the human suffering I have seen that is absolutely housing related. I worry that um, this issue is so complicated. Folks don't believe me when I say that so many lung issues that arise are really
1: just uh, environmental and a
0: result of poor housing. Mm
1: -hmm. I am pleased that the Biden administration is prioritizing this. And there's actually movement within the Medicare and Medicaid system to study this and look at how we're allocating the funding to be able to support deep weatherization of homes so that you can see less of these people in your practice.
0: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So, Mandy, I have to ask this question, which is a little prickly, but I have to ask it because 2020 was such a divisive, explosive year especially among racial lines. Mm -hmm. If you win this seat, you'll be replacing a long-tenured councilwoman, Natalie Archbong, a Black woman. Mm -hmm. There are many in Atlanta who would like to see diversity, equity, and inclusion in our politics. So how can you further improvements in race relations being from the majority?
1: Thank you for that question. And thank you for asking it so bluntly and honestly. That's the only way that we can get at truth in this. And you know, as you know, Council Member Archibong is running to serve as Atlanta City Council President. And so this is an open seat. And as I look at the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion, I think we have to look at it on a number of layers. One, I've spent my career paying witness to the historic racist policies that have gotten us to this uh, place of inequity we are at today and have maintained inequity since slavery. And I want to challenge and call out that policy, to root it out so that we can have a more fair and just and equitable society. And I think that manifests through the way we're spending tax dollars to make housing permanently affordable and to give people better access to sidewalks and street infrastructure so that they can move around in their life in a free manner in my own life diversity equity and inclusion has been something that i have been a champion for throughout the climate and clean energy space and as a woman i see the duty that I have to create the safe space for more women to be in the conversation and for more people of color to be in the conversation. And by looking at my own privilege and reflecting on that and challenging that and looking at the systems and challenging how they're set up, I have found that there is a way to create the safe space that is inclusive to have all voices be heard. Was
0: there a moment that helped you find your voice on race and justice? A
1: few years ago, I had the honor of speaking with the gentleman who smuggled the letter of the Birmingham jail out in his waist shorts for Dr. King. And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, if more white people were with us now the way they were in the early 60s, the world would be a better place. And when he looked at me, I felt that as a bolt of lightning had gone through my soul, and I knew that that was the truth I had to live by. From that day on, I needed to put aside my guilt and shame, my own privilege, and change it to see that I need to use my power to create safe, inclusive spaces. And so that's what I'm committed to doing.
0: I got prickles. I got goosebumps. Thank you for that. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Did you know? Women only have about 15% share of the voice distributed by main media. Last year, only 21% of top charting podcasts had a female host. This is because we need more ratings and reviews. We need you. This is the only time we'll ever ask you to stop listening. Hit the pause button. Take the time right now to rate and review us. Help us change the stats. That way, we can be here when you're ready to listen again. My guest today is candidate for Atlanta City Council, Mandy Mahoney. Mandy, I know you've always been a huge supporter of organic farming, particularly here in Georgia. Are you still using locally grown produce as a big part of your diet?
1: I am. I have shifted (laughs) to being a having a vegan diet over the course of the life.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, That's new. Yeah.
1: I wanted to get in front of my inherited heart issues that come from my mother's side of the family. And so I decided I was cutting out meat and dairy just, just because I knew that eventually a doctor was going to tell me to do it. Um, But it's been easier (laughs) to be on that path because I have my sources for just in-season organic produce. So we are a member of the Love is Love uh, community-supported agriculture farm share yeah, every great week. Great farm, yes. And uh, we, I frequent the local farmer's markets. They're such, it's so fun to go and see the new things that are out every week. And I always buy way too many things. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's just so fun to go and, you know, I bought Guinea guinea eggs recently. So I say I'm vegan. Oh, I eat a cool. I still eat a good amount of eggs. But it was fun to <laughs> guinea eggs.
0: From what I know of political campaigns, and you have already alluded to this, uh, talking about getting up at 530, you work really long hours during the day. And there are some especially long nights. What are you doing to keep yourself healthy? Because I really don't want you to get laryngitis. I, I love your voice. <laughs>
1: I have a very robust uh, Self care practice that I have developed over the years. Uh, as I look back in my life, when my, my dad died uh, about six years ago, and that was terribly hard, we lost him uh, to mad cow disease, which was oh my
0: goodness, crazy so to sorry. think.
1: And because we lost him long before he passed, you know, he, the the madness of mad cow is real. And that was a shocking time to try to. Just keep myself together. And, you know, I knew the deepest, darkest places of grief. And, but I have come out of that through the help of many great teachers. And so I, have, I use a range of resources um, to, to take care of myself from movement, uh, yoga, and Pilates serve me very well. I also do a lot of journaling and meditation. And as an introvert, I find that um, I'm constantly giving my putting myself outside of my being to be talking to new people, and so things like uh, body scan meditation allow me to settle back into my body to you know feel that energy return, feel the sustenance return to my heart, uh, and so by just having those, that range of layers uh, is allowing me to show up and to listen to my body so that when I'm exhausted, I can say, okay, I'm going to put this down. I am not going to keep working. I'm going to go sit on the couch with my son and watch Fuller House with him on Netflix. And <laughs> uh, so just, because I think that, the only person who's gonna take care of me is me. And I use that image of, we have to put the oxygen mask on first. And so I'm at, I, I, with, in a loving way, I ask myself, am I doing that? Am I, am, I, am I taking care of self? Am I showing myself the love that I wanna to give to other people?
0: You know that that's part of the Hello Health prescription is for good self care no. is breathe oxygen. Do one thing for yourself first thing in the morning. What? Yeah,
1: <laughs> but you found that really works for you. I do. I'm a big fan of breath work and lots of different kinds of breath work, and it's uh, and then it's fun to to do that with my son. Also, it helps him go to sleep at night. Like last night, we were doing the deep belly breathing. He was overtired from field day yesterday. So it allowed both of us to be able to (laughs) relax and, and go off to sleep. So literally
0: breathing oxygen, those deep yoga breaths. Yes. Wonderful. So you have two guys at home. You've alluded to Paul often, but both your husband and your son are in your cheerleading section. How did you get them on
1: board for this campaign? I didn't have to get them on board. They were encouraging me during my period of discernment to go all in. So I filed my paperwork to run for city council a week before the world shut down for COVID. And oh my goodness. The, that week before we we celebrated as a family that I, that I was a candidate by going to the East Lake Neighborhood Association meeting. And I had come from a yoga class. So I was in workout clothes. Just We were just there to like be in community. And at the end of the meeting, when the president of the association asked if anybody had anything they wanted to say, Paul raised his hand <laughs> and said, my mom is <laughs> running for city council. Oh, I asked him to do I that. I love that child. <laughs> so it is with that joy he shows up every day. And the same for my husband. Oh. He is my biggest champion.
0: So, you know, Paul has no problem throwing you into the spotlight. (laughs) Are there new or unique stresses about being in the spotlight?
1: It is. um, There are definitely new stresses for being in the spotlight. The I have to represent what is in my heart. You know, people can't know what I care about until they know I care. And so I'm. How do I show up in that authentic manner where I'm vulnerable and you know, I'm, I'm leading with love? And the only way I can do that is if I am caring for myself first. If I'm, I have to be nourished, refreshed, I can't be exhausted. And so that's where the self-care is the most important thing. Like I've got to care for self first if I want to be able to show up in the race the way that is on my heart.
0: Well, that's a, that's
1: a good uh, little segue. What's your favorite self-care practice? Right now, my favorite self-care practice is chanting. There is a woman mm. named Shanali Banerjee who is a which Chantlanta. She lives in Eastlake. And I studied, started studying Sanskrit chant under her during COVID. And it has allowed me to release and tune into the energy in my soul in a way that I didn't even know existed. I'd always been curious about chanting. My father was always into monastic chanting. Uh, But by getting into Sanskrit chanting, the vibration that comes from that has allowed me to grieve things and release things that have been trapped in my body that I've worked on with therapists and in other ways. But there's something about that primeval chanting that is really powerful. That's so cool. I know that you so you alluded to talk therapy, which is
0: something that you know, at Hello Health we're constantly telling folks, you know, a therapist is for everybody. A therapist helps us all grow, not just for when we're grieving or when there's something wrong. So we we all have therapists, each of one of us. Um, I wonder if there are other kinds of modalities that you use because you're very interested in Eastern medicine, isn't that right? I
1: am. I stu- I see um an acupuncturist weekly. One thing I haven't talked about yet is that I have severe scoliosis. When I was in middle school, I was diagnosed. And so I have Harrington rods in my back. And they took the curve down from a 65-degree curve to a curve in the lower 50s. And so as I've gotten into middle age, I've had to explore a lot of core strengthening practices so I don't live in pain, frankly. And I was having weird nerve issues um, running through my right arm that the, I started seeing see an acupuncturist for. And that's been able to, to help the nerve issues go away. But it has been more to become just a regular part of my self-care routine. Um, and by seeing the acupuncture, she's identified things that I've needed to take out of my diet, which is really why I've cut out dairy and meat. And so my inflammation has gone down. I've gone down two dress sizes over the course of covid And it was not by trying. Yeah, you know, I was about to say
0: "Holy cow!" but that's the wrong thing. (laughs) That's the
1: onion.
0: (laughs) Well, it's time for action steps for today, Mandy. What advice do you have to keep us all feeling well, even as we work really hard for what we
1: want? Follow your joy. I have found my self-care practices through experimentation. There are things that I've picked up, they haven't worked, so i have put them aside. And I've just done what has nourished me and given me joy. And so I often encourage people to think back to what did they enjoy doing as a little kid? I enjoyed sitting in my room doing craft projects. And so now I use adult coloring books. My husband loved doing Legos as a little kid. And his psychiatrist prescribed that he do that again. And it has been very good for him. But each of us are going to find that different thing. And so I would say, lean into that and just indulge.
0: You've done so many cool experiments on yourself. I also appreciate that. Just so you know, I heard you're willing to try out monastic chanting (laughs) and uh, this other kind of chanting and acupuncture and Pilates and yoga. You've tried on a lot of different things and found what works for you. I admire it. So thank you. Manny, thank you so much for your time today. I wish you all the best in your
1: campaign. I am looking forward to my newly walkable city. Thank you, Carmen. It's been a joy to be with you. And I look forward to getting out there, going for a walk with you soon. Thank you for listening to Hello Health today. After each episode, I've asked you to support
0: the show by rating and reviewing us. If you just can't take the time to leave a lengthy review, consider just leaving a one-word description of how the show makes you feel. For example, you could write, This podcast makes me feel inspired, more positive, just generally better overall. When you rate and review us, it helps other people find us, and we need the reviews to make Season 4 possible. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for listening. Until next time, remembering, today is good. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Because I am a medical doctor, it's important for me to tell you that nothing I say here in this podcast can substitute for your doctor's advice. My lawyers make me say the same thing this way. The contents of this podcast are neither intended nor implied to be relied on for medical diagnosis, care, or treatment concerning any individual. Under no circumstances does this podcast create a physician-patient relationship, nor does it constitute engagement in the practice of medicine or the provision of any healthcare service to an individual patient. This podcast should not be used as a substitute for professional diagnosis and treatment. Consult a healthcare provider before making any healthcare decisions or to obtain guidance about any medical conditions. The producers of this podcast expressly disclaimed responsibility and shall have no liability for any damages, loss, injury, or liability whatsoever suffered as a result of reliance on the information contained in this podcast.